Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of alcoholic liver disease found under the gastrointestinal section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 44-year-old man presents to the emergency department with abdominal pain. He has been experiencing this pain for the past few days, and it has progressively worsened. He has a past medical history of alcohol use disorder complicated by previous hospital admissions for acute pancreatitis. Physical exam is notable for right upper quadrant tenderness and hepatomegaly. Laboratory studies demonstrate a serum aspartate aminotransferase level of 315 units per liter and an alanine aminotransferase level of 152 units per liter. Let's continue with an introduction to alcoholic liver disease. As a general overview, Remember that excessive alcohol use can lead to alcoholic fatty liver disease, alcoholic hepatitis, and cirrhosis. Conditions that are associated include malnutrition, which may result in Wernicke's encephalopathy and Korsakoff syndrome, as well as hepatic encephalopathy. In terms of the pathophysiology, ethanol consumption leads to promotion of lipid accumulation within the liver, liver cell injury due to increased oxidative stress, and decreased intake of vitamins. Moving on to the presentation, remember that patients are typically asymptomatic, but symptoms will depend on how severe the liver damage is and if the patient develops cirrhosis. Symptoms and physical exam findings may include palmar erythema, gynecomastia, testicular atrophy, spider angiomas, jaundice, caput medusae, and hematemesis or melana. In terms of further imaging, an abdominal ultrasound is indicated to evaluate the liver morphology which may demonstrate hepatic steatosis or cirrhosis. In terms of further studies, serum labs may include an AST and ALT, which will typically demonstrate an elevated AST to ALT ratio of greater than 2. One may also obtain a gamma-glutamyl transpeptidase level, or GGT, which is often elevated, but it is not specific for alcoholic liver disease. One may also note macrocytosis. This is suggestive of long-standing disease and it is secondary to decreased vitamin B12 or folate deficiency or alcoholic toxicity. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about viral hepatitis, with differentiating factors being that there will be significantly elevated AST and ALT, and there may be positive hepatitis testing. In terms of treatment, conservative options include cessation of alcohol. This is indicated for all patients with alcoholic liver disease, and it is associated with improved outcomes. Another option is nutritional therapy. This is indicated for vitamin replacement. Medical options include glucocorticoids, which are indicated for severe alcoholic hepatitis. Surgical options include liver transplantation. This is indicated in patients with decompensated liver disease. And lastly, with regards to complications, these may include gastroesophageal varices, which may be secondary to portal hypertension, hepatocellular carcinoma, and ascites, which can result in spontaneous bacterial peritonitis. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to alcoholic liver disease, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 47-year-old man is brought to the emergency department by the police. He was forcibly removed from a bar for lewd behavior. The patient smells of alcohol and his speech is slurred and unintelligible. The patient has a past medical history of alcohol abuse, obesity, diabetes, and Wernicke's encephalopathy. The patient's currently prescribed medications include insulin, metformin, 
disulfiram, atorvastatin, and a multi-B vitamin and lisinopril. However, he is non-compliant with his medications. His temperature is 98.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.7 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 150 over 97, pulse is 100 beats per minute, respirations are 15 breaths per minute, and oxygen saturation is 96% on room air. Physical exam is notable for a palpable liver edge 2 centimeters inferior to the rib cage and increased abdominal girth with a positive fluid wave. Laboratory values are ordered and demonstrate a hemoglobin of 10, hematocrit of 33%, leukocyte count of 7,500 with a normal differential, platelet count of 245,000, a serum sodium of 136, chloride of 102, potassium of 4.1, bicarbonate of 24, BUN of 24, glucose of 157, creatinine of 1.5, and calcium of 9.6. Which of the following are the most likely laboratory values that would be seen in this patient in terms of AST, ALT, and GGT? And the answer choices are, choice 1, AST 225, ALT 245, and GGT of 127. Choice 2, AST 255, ALT 130, GGT 114. Choice 3, AST 265, ALT 205, GGT of 50. Choice 4, AST of 425, ALT of 475, and GGT of 95. Or Choice 5, AST of 455, ALT of 410, and GGT of 115. The best answer to this question is choice 2, AST of 255, ALT of 130, and GGT of 114. This patient is presenting with a history of substantial alcohol use, suggesting a diagnosis of alcoholic hepatitis. Laboratory values for AH include an elevated AST and ALT, with an AST being greater than ALT and an elevated GGT level. Alcoholic liver disease in its mild form can present with nausea, vomiting, malaise, and low-grade fever, or if more severe, it can present with signs of liver failure and cirrhosis, such as coagulopathy and esophageal varices. In alcoholic liver disease, liver enzymes such as AST and ALT will typically be elevated with an AST to ALT ratio that is greater than 2 to 1. However, in alcoholic hepatitis, AST and ALT are usually less than 300. Values higher than this should support further workup for an alternative diagnosis. Another marker for AH is an elevated GGT, which is common in these patients, as GGT is found in the liver and released when the liver is damaged. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 2. This represents a pattern of liver damage with ALT greater than AST. This is unlikely in AH and is more likely in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Choice 3. This demonstrates possible values for AST and ALT in AH, though the ratio is not close to 2 to 1. However, the GGT level is within normal limits. GGT is typically elevated in alcoholic hepatitis. Choice 4. This demonstrates AST and ALT values greater than 300, which are unlikely in alcoholic hepatitis. Similarly, ALT is greater than AST, which does not correlate with AH. Choice 5. This demonstrates AST and ALT values greater than 300, which are unlikely in AH. Though the AST level is greater than the ALT level, it is not in a 2 to 1 ratio. Finally, a bullet summary. Alcoholic hepatitis presents with nausea, vomiting, malaise, low-grade fever, 
elevated liver enzymes, and an elevated GGT. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 57-year-old man presents to the emergency department with fatigue. He states that his symptoms started yesterday and have been worsening steadily. The patient endorses a recent weight loss of 7 pounds this week and states that he feels diffusely itchy. The patient has a past medical history of alcohol abuse, obesity, asthma, and IV drug use. His current medications include metformin, atorvastatin, albuterol, and fluticasone. In addition, the patient admits to smoking and drinking more than usual lately due to the stress he has experienced. His temperature is 98.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.1 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 130 over 75. Pulse is 90 beats per minute. Respirations are 15 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. Physical exam is notable for an ill-appearing man. The patient's skin appears yellow. Abdominal exam is notable for right upper quadrant tenderness. Cardiac and pulmonary exams are within normal limits. Laboratory values are ordered and demonstrate a hemoglobin of 14, hematocrit of 42%, leukocyte count of 5,500 with a normal differential, and platelet count of 70,000. His PTT is 92 seconds, PT is 42 seconds, and AST is 1,110 with an ALT of 990. Which of the following is most likely to be found in this patient's history? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Appropriate acute management of a deep vein thrombosis. Choice 2. Decreased UDP glucuronal transferase activity at birth. Choice 3. Prosthetic valve with appropriate postoperative care. Choice 4. Recent antibiotic treatment with gentamicin. Or choice 5. Severe migraine headaches treated with acetaminophen. The best answer to this question is choice 5, severe migraine headaches treated with acetaminophen. This patient is presenting with jaundice, a history of alcohol abuse, and an elevated AST, ALT, PT, and PTT suggestive of a diagnosis of acute liver failure. Acute liver failure can occur in individuals who consume hepatotoxic substances such as alcohol and acetaminophen. Acute liver failure presents with fatigue, pruritus, jaundice, anorexia, nausea, vomiting, and right upper quadrant pain. Common laboratory findings include an elevated PT and PTT due to the decreased synthetic ability of the liver, as well as an elevated AST and ALT that can be greater than 10 times the upper limit of normal. Other findings in acute liver failure can include a decreased serum albumin, a decreased platelet count, secondary to decreased hepatic thrombopoietin production, and increased levels of substances that are typically broken down by the liver, such as estrogen and progesterone. Risk factors for liver failure typically are infections, such as hepatitis B or C, and substances, such as alcohol and acetaminophen. Combining hepatotoxic substances increases the risk of acute liver failure. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Appropriate acute management of a deep vein thrombosis describes a patient who is being given heparin. While heparin would increase the PTT and the PT to some extent, it would not result in this patient's abnormal liver enzymes. Choice 2. Decreased UDP glucuronal transferase activity at birth describes Gilbert syndrome. Patients with Gilbert disease could present with jaundice when exposed to stress and would demonstrate an increased indirect bilirubin on laboratory studies. Choice 3. Prosthetic valve with appropriate postoperative care would explain this patient's elevated PT and PTT 
since anticoagulation with warfarin to an INR of 2 to 3 is appropriate management. However, it would not explain this patient's elevated liver enzymes. Choice 4. Recent antibiotic treatment with gentamicin could predispose this patient to experience acute renal failure since gentamicin is nephrotoxic. Acute renal failure would present with an elevated BUN and creatinine, oliguria, and CAS seen on urinalysis. Finally, a bullet summary. Acute liver failure can occur secondary to exposure to hepatotoxic substances such as alcohol and acetaminophen. For the third question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 56-year-old homeless male presents to a free clinic for a health evaluation. He states that he has not seen a physician in over 25 years, but finally decided to seek medical attention after he noticed recent chronic fatigue and weight gain. Upon questioning, he endorses drinking two handles of whiskey per day. On exam, the physician observes scleral icterus and spider nevi, as well as caput medusae and hemorrhoids. Which of the following findings would also be expected to be observed in this patient? And the answer choices are, choice one, a four hertz hand tremor. Choice two, nystagmus. Choice three, direct hyperbilirubinemia. Choice four, microcytic anemia. Or choice five, testicular atrophy. The best answer to this question is, choice five, testicular atrophy. This patient is presenting with stigmata of chronic liver disease and cirrhosis, most likely secondary to his alcoholism. Hypogonadism resulting in testicular atrophy is one such stigmata observed in chronic liver disease. Chronic liver disease often leads to cirrhosis, diffuse fibrosis, and destruction of normal liver architecture. This often results from chronic alcohol use, viral hepatitis, biliary disease, and hemochromatosis. It produces stereotypic stigmata as a result of liver cell failure and portal hypertension. Signs of liver cell failure include scleral icterus, spider nevi, gynecomastia, hypogonadism, bleeding diathesis, asterixis, and anemia. Portal hypertension is the cause of ascites, esophageal varices, splenomegaly, caput medusae, and hemorrhoids. The publication by Starr and Rains reviews the diagnosis, management, and prevention of cirrhosis. They state cirrhosis is the 12th leading cause of death in the United States, and alcohol abuse and viral hepatitis are the most common causes of cirrhosis. Treating alcohol abuse, screening for viral hepatitis, and controlling risk factors for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease are mechanisms by which the primary care physician can reduce the incidence of cirrhosis. The publication by Enoch and Goldman reviews the diagnosis and management of chronic alcoholism. They state that alcoholic addiction is a lifelong disease with a relapsing remitting course. Because of the potentially serious implications of the diagnosis, assessment for alcoholism should be detailed. Alcoholism is treated by a variety of psychosocial methods with or without newly developed pharmacotherapies that improve relapse. Now let's discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. A 4 hertz hand tremor would be characteristic of Parkinson's disease. Choice 2. Nystagmus is seen in a variety of conditions, including multiple sclerosis and PCP intoxication. However, it is not characteristic of severe liver failure. Choice 3. Cirrhosis due to alcohol abuse would be expected to show mildly elevated AST and ALT, usually in a 2 to 1 ratio. A direct hyperbilirubinemia would not be expected. Choice 4. 
Cirrhosis and chronic alcoholism would be expected to cause a macrocytic anemia as opposed to microcytic anemia. That's all for this review about alcoholic liver disease. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.